Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Input 2. Today, we're talking about Jordan Peele's Us, but first, I am your host, Emily Rubin, and with me today, I have... Jeremy Rogers. And Tanner Kinney. Welcome back, both of you. I... For the longest time, have been trying not to do horror films, but I think this is an exception because it just came out, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That allows that allows you to talk about horror films for a full hour. Yay! That's all I want. (laughs) This should just be a horror podcast, honestly. But let's talk about Jordan Peele really quickly because this is his second big film to come out. So the film Us was written, produced, and directed by Jordan Peele. He's like a Tommy Wiseau, only good. Is well, he's mean? not acting. He's oh, not, he's not acting, acting Not yeah, yet. He doesn't have the full trifecta of writer, director, actor. Pro- oh, quadfecta? Quadfecta. Quadfecta. <laughs> writer, I feel director. bad even comparing him to Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> so, yeah, no, maybe not. And he, Jordan Peele is primarily known from the comedy sketch show Key and Peele. It was co-star- he co-starred with Keegan-Michael Keegan. And I think this is the first time that we all started to like know him as a household name. The first film he directed was in 2017, and it was Get Out, which was a massive success and won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay and was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. But as we all know, horror movies just don't win Best Picture. It's a law. Yeah. Yeah. What what won that year out of Carrie? Do you remember? I do not remember. All right. Was Was that a La La Land? Uh, No, no, that was Moonlight. Moonlight (laughs) Moonlight won that. Sorry. (laughs) I knew. (laughs) (laughs) Womp. We won't forget. Thank you, Warren Beatty. The internet does not forget. Um, he also produced Spike Lee's Black Klansman in 2018, which was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture, and was robbed. <laughs> is that a hot take? No. I don't know, but it was robbed. But the point is, he Jordan Peele, his career in directing and producing is it's so new, but he is just such a standout. Like everything he touches is doing really well. So good for him. And he's slated to host, produce, and narrate CBS's upcoming reboot of The Twilight Zone, which I am very excited for, especially since he genuinely loves The Twilight Zone, and it's a lot of inspiration for his films and scripts and everything. So that is a little background on Jordan Peele. So let's move on to Us. The world premiere was at South by Southwest on March 8, 2019, and it released in theaters March 22, 2019. And we all saw it last night, so this is all very fresh for us. Yes. So mm-hmm. Peel told Polygon he wrote the script in under a year after Get Out. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's that is pretty crazy. But I've I've also noticed that if you have a really good idea for a story, it's very it's very easy to write it up in a short period of time. He yeah, when you're also, on a creative bend, you just gotta do it. Yeah, he also did say that this was like a culmination of ideas he's had for like over his lifetime. So this is like while he hadn't made the script prior, he'd been thinking about the concept. And us is kind of influenced by a Twilight Zone episode, ironic, called Mirror Image, and it also dealt with the whole reflection as a theme and kind of how scary the doppelganger can be. So, thank you, Twilight Zone, for helping with this. So, let's see how the film's been doing critically. On Rotten Tomatoes, it currently has a 95 critical score, maybe, because we checked actually like a minute ago. And yeah, it's, uh, I have it up right now. It's 94. It's, uh, not, if you don't mind. Go for it, Okay, man. all right. Uh, it has a 94% currently out of 245 reviews. So, it went down by like 1%. Yeah, a single percentage point. Uh, and the audience score, you had it listed at 70%. It has gone up by 3% with set with 73% of audiences liking it out of 338 user ratings. That's crazy. So it, it's still like fluctu- it's so new that it's still fluctuating, but at this time, 
That's what the score is. So let's look at a positive review from Scott Tobias from NPR. He says, Us is a serious film about the American underclass. Those who toil out of sight and out of mind. Us is also a lot of fun. I like that little disclaimer at the end. It's also, it's about, you know, people like being ignored and somewhat enslaved, but it's fun. It's a good time. It's fun. But I, I singled this one out because we're going to talk about themes. And I think it's interesting that he compared, um, he brought up the theme of the underclass, which I think is a big one for this film. So I did want to highlight him. As for the negative review, I pulled Jeff Beck from Blue Shot, and he said, Us is the kind of movie that, while you can admire the craft and skill that went into it, will leave you scratching your head as to how people thought any of it was plausible. Uh, I have a problem. I don't know if this is... (laughs) uh, So, he's talking about plausibility. Does he mean, like, plausible in terms, like, none of this could happen in reality? Because, yeah, like, I mean, buddy, I'll we you- got a whole suite of like Marvel movies for you to look at and review, too. You're the type of person that goes to the movie and like looks at a superhero and is like, that's not real. Like, yeah. what-, what, what do you mean? What do you mean Brie Larson is strong? <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> or does he mean like the twist at the end is implausible? Either way, I disagree, but that would make more sense to me than just like a. It's, it's horror. Horror is formalistic, generally. This isn't, like, an avant-garde, like, cinema verite, like, shooting, like, you know, like a documentary-style film. It's, it's, suppo- it's supposed to be, like, fake. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just misinterpreting what Jeff Beck has to say, but I disagree. So, the box office and budget is interesting because it's still fluctuating. But the production budget was $20 million, and Universal announced the film raked in $7.4 million Thursday night. And just for a little context, that beats the preview nights of The Nun, A Quiet Place, Thor, Dark World, and Ant-Man. Well, that's not surprising. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Ant-Man's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Thor, Dark World is also a movie. You know, I guess they were, guys. In the sense that I saw it in theaters. It doesn't surprise me either about A Quiet Place. Uh, I mean, that one did get a bunch of buzz, but opening weekend, I feel like it started to culminate after... The fact, yeah. I don't know. I think A Quiet Place generated a lot of buzz when it premiered at South by Southwest. I don't know. So. I don't know. But it did really well. It beat all of them out. So, yay, Jordan Peele. Claps for you. So, let's get into the plot of this bad boy. So, I'm going to leave this part to you two. What is this movie? And we are going to get into spoilers. So, if you haven't seen us, get out. I don't know why you clicked on it. Get out. Ha-ha. <laughs> 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 We're canceled. <laughs> But yeah, spoiler territory starting now. Go ahead, guys. All right. All right. <laughs> All right so a woman is haunted by her past. <laughs> a childhood trauma comes back in the most real way. And her family has to deal with it. That's just kind of what happens. Yeah. Uh, the the yeah, the movie starts off with a text crawl mentioning all the tunnels underneath society. Then it shows some cryptic Im- Im- some cryptic imagery and a lot of Easter eggs from the uh, from 1986. Uh, and then you know uh, a girl's with their parents at the fair. A uh, young girl. Uh, she she wanders off, enters a, a house of mirrors, and then stumbles upon a mirror that doesn't look it, that looks exactly like her, but is not looking back at her. And then the movie starts. And it's scary. I thought you were going to say, and then it ends. And then it's over. Roll credits. Also, props for saying Easter eggs because rabbits. 
That's stupid, I know, but I'm going to say it anyway. So yeah, this is, um, think of like a home invasion story, but kind of with a twist. It doesn't stay in the home, um, but it does start that way. It actually reminds me of a film called Funny Games, and I know that movie influenced Jordan Peele. I know that because he listed it on like 12 films that you like you should watch. And it's also very obvious in Funny Games. Um, it's basically two guys that invade this couple's house. And it starts, um, when they first invade, they hit the dad with a golf club on the foot. And in, in uh, us. And they break his leg. And yeah. they break his leg. It's, uh, they use the bat. And then they place them like on the couch and they're just sitting across from them and they can't leave. And then it becomes like a game of like, well, we're going to kill you. Like, that's what happens in us. They, they could just kill them right there, but they make it into a game. So it's not a direct comparison, but I do think that that was an influence. And that made me very happy because I love funny games, but I like us more. <laughs> but yeah, let's kind of talk about this movie a little bit because it's a lot to unpack. There's a lot that goes on in this movie. Um, but at its core, it's a horror movie, so it's constant. Um, you know, people are describing this as really bloody. I wouldn't say it was. Yeah, not not like comparatively bloody to other like bit, other. I mean, it, it's never going to be as bloody as a slasher film. No, of course. But uh, in terms of other horror movies, I don't think it was that much bloodier than the average horror movie. I, I mean, guess I haven't yeah. seen that many of them. If anything, I thought it was almost a little restrained in. Uh, the blood. It's definitely not like a gory movie. Which I appreciate. By any means, but there is a fair amount of blood. It's realistic around. gore. It's not yeah. like exaggerated. You know, it, if somebody gets hit in the head with a golf club four times, that blood's going to splatter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just science. But I maybe they're comparing it to Get Out, which really doesn't have that much blood or gore at all. So if you look at it that way, then sure. There you go. But Something that's really fun about this movie is the leading actress, Lupita Nyong'o, as Adelaide Wilson. Because, first off, she's a black woman. And second, she's the lead. And I really appreciate that because we need more of that in Hollywood. In fact, this entire family is a black family and they're just a normal family. They don't make a big deal out of, you know, black. They're just a people and that's what we need to see more of. They're just people doing their own thing. And I really, it felt very natural and it's something that, well, you know, all the previews we saw for this movie, there was, like, white people directing films about black people. And you can tell every time. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> what, that, well, that one movie about Ma, that movie. I'm pretty sure that's by a white man. That, I'm that 90% mo- That movie looked terrible. If, I, if not, <laughs> then I deeply apologize. But you, it's just... The that, f- I don't apologize. That movie still looked terrible. <laughs> Fair. Because it does. But this is an authentic feeling movie. The acting is really well done. And Lupita just, she is so fun to watch. Um, she's, she's a character that takes agency over the situation. Um, that doesn't mean that there are no flaws. Don't take, there are obviously, it's a horror movie. There are points, especially, I don't know about you guys. So I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, but you know, I don't know. It's also interesting to note that these characters essentially play two characters. Uh, the mirrored reflection of these guys they have to play, how do I describe it? They're doppelganger. And so while, you know, Lupita Nyong'o's like, character of Adelaide is just like a normal person, her mirrored image is kind of like, she has a super hoarse voice. She's really intimidating, wide eyes. Um, I think the, the son's probably the best example. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the son, played by Evan Alex, he plays the son Jason. Um, 
Jason's just like a normal kid. He's kind of like eccentric. He likes to play traps and stuff. He likes magic tricks. Yeah, he, he likes he, magic he, tricks. He likes magic tricks. He has he wears a mask. Yeah. So in his doppelganger, he also wears a mask, but it's because he was burned. So his face is deformed. And the mask almost looks like something out of BDSM. It's really Oh a, yeah. It, it was it was freaky. It was terrifying. And he moves around like a little monkey. It's like and those noises that he makes. Oh, gosh. The noises for all the doppelgangers. Okay, my dream in life is to be a uh, just somebody on screen, that, like, on screen that screams. And so I feel like uh, this movie really speaks to me. I could have been Elizabeth Moss. <laughs> just saying. Because Lupita Nyong'o's other, Red, is the only like other that we see that talks. Yeah. And, and that's so everyone important. else just kind of grunts or yeah. makes these weird little like chittering sounds. Grunts, growls, uh, moves their hands, uh, yeah. communicates in non-verbally, essentially. So I think we should probably clarify the doppelgangers. They're called tethered in this film. And essentially, they're mirrored images. So what the actual person does, they have to reflect it. And it's it's shown as an involuntary thing. So... Adelaide, when she gave birth, her mirror image had to give birth as well. But because there was an actual like medical facility where she was, she had to give herself her own C-section. So they're basically living, the mirrored image, the tethered are living worse lives than the people that they mirror. Right. And they're not exactly like a one-to-one copy of the other. Mm-hmm. So like uh, Lupita Nyong'o's tether is red, her husband, Gabe, his other is called Abraham. And their, uh, Lupita Nyong'o's other says, you know, I had to be around him. It didn't matter if I loved him or not because he was tethered to the person you loved. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a terrible thing. So they, the tethered live in this underground facility. We don't know too much about it. All that we know is there are a ton of rabbits, which they're forced to feast on. It's raw rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no sunlight, no windows. It's underground. Um, and it's kind of, it's really interesting because, like, say the people above ground are on a roller coaster. There's obviously no roller coaster, so they're all just standing there, like, mimicking, like, the rough movements. It's very, it's very odd. It's like an interpretive yeah. dance. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was very interesting to see all the different ways they imitated the people at the fair during that uh, last section towards the end of the movie. Yeah, I can you imagine filming? <laughs> I couldn't get through it. I'd be cracking up. But it it's very it we're made to sympathize with these people. They are not just like strictly bad people doing bad things just because they want a better life, and that's why. Adelaide's other tethered person comes up and she kind of leads, leads the movement to get the tethered to take over, you know, kill their double and make a statement. And that is the premise of the movie. So let's talk about what are some great performances or weak performances? Well, I, we already mentioned uh, Evan Alex as Jason, but he was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. As both as both like a normal scared kid who's a little eccentric, a little weird, and then his doppelganger was frightening. Yeah, he the, was. Definitely the most terrifying of all the doppelgangers. Uh, he he moved he moved around you know freakily. He he played with fire. He was uh you know try he tr- uh, towards the end of the movie he tries to uh light their car on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you see uh, Jason stop them by forcing him to mirror himself walking into the fire behind him, 
which was a very good moment in the which was an absolutely well directed, well shot scene, and the kid does a fantastic job. He really oh, yeah. does. Just to expand on that, when he's playing his tether Pluto, the thing that I admire the most about that performance is just how physical it is. Because when, you know, ordinarily Jason just kind of walks around like a normal kid. He's just doing his own thing. But his tether, he runs around on all fours, very <laughs> animalistic. And that was just a great performance. Yeah, he really he's very effective in being both a sweet kid that you want you want to protect versus like this dangerous, unpredictable, tethered person. And I would like to see him in more movies, especially horror movies. So good job, Evan Alex. Yeah, he's gonna end up in the next Blumhouse film. That you know, gets a ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Blumhouse, uh, Blum, uh, what's his name? I can't remember. His Jason name. Blum. Jason Blum. Thank you. He actually was a producer for this. No one can escape. I think he just has a monopoly on every horror movie now. <laughs> I don't think it's a choice. I just think that like you're automatically assigned him. Yeah. So and it's just so that they can put on their trailers for all their terrible movies. Hey, we produce Get Out, guys. Yeah, like, that's not fair. Well, I, I mean, I guess they're doing better. I don't know. Um. So, what are just some fun or maybe, like, horrifying parts of the movie for you guys? I don't know. Uh, one of my favorite parts was actually came directly after the moment that Tanner was just describing, where Jason walks backwards, forcing his tether to walk backwards as well. As we see Jason get to the point where his tether is, you know, in the fire, in the background, out of focus, we see Lupita Nyong'o's tether... Like, just stand up, and you know she's got some insidious intentions. And that just, that was such a tense moment. I loved it. I This is very random, but every time they said Jason, I'm a child. Yeah, so I was like, heavy, Jason! Ra- heavy rain. Heavy rain. The mo- <laughs> like, I was thinking that, too. I, I didn't want to make a joke yesterday about it, because I was too, like, enraptured in the film. Yeah. But I, I thought about it again. I was like... Why did why did David Cage ruin the name Jason in horror films? I know, I can't take it serious. <laughs> I was hoping you guys didn't hear in the movie because I leaned over to you, Jeremy, and I was like, Jason. And... Oh, I leaned over to I leaned over to Trevor and I said that to him. I'm so. glad we're all on the same page here. <laughs> Can you imagine if we screamed that during the theater? Jason! Everyone would be like, what the heck? These nerds. But yeah, one of my favorite parts, um, it actually comes towards the end, and it really showcases the strong editing in this film. And I'm going to call out Nicholas Monsur in a good way. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Um, he was the editor for this film, and the part that I'm talking about is towards the end where Adelaide comes face-to-face with her tethered, and they get into a fight. But juxtaposed with the fighting images are the images of her at her ballet recital and he put that together with the music who was done by michael abels who also did get out um it's just a really tense scene and i it's hard to describe it's just there's not it's not super action-packed but it feels like it is um and the way that they have lupita blocked it's both her tethered and you know adelaide um it's just, it's very tense. The camera shots are really well done here, and I loved it. <laughs> I don't know if that was a good description oh, of that yeah. scene. And, and the choreography of that scene as well is uh, fantastic, like showing their different styles of movement. Uh, Adelaide being, like, worn down at this point. She's 
she's become she's animalistic at this point while her other is moving gracefully like a dancer like just sidestepping every single attack that adelaide throws at her it's kind of like a fencer like yeah it's it's very and it's also like so unnatural too at the same time like it's so robotic Yeah, it was alien it was oh gosh it was just beautifully done and i think that's what's going to forever stick out to me about this the other one that um i wanted to highlight is at the very beginning of the film when Adelaide, as a child, walks into, uh, like, the, not the House of Horrors, the... Uh, the the, the f- Mind Yourself. Yeah, the, Find Yourself. The mir- the Maze of Mirrors. Yeah, the Maze of Mirrors. Um, it was originally, like, the Shaman Spirit Quest. The Shaman yeah. <laughs> And then it turned into Merlin's Spirit Quest. <laughs> um, it kind of but reminded me... they still me... kept the totem pole outside. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> but it reminded me of um, The Third Man. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Oh, yes. Um... Obviously not like one to one, but there's a scene in the third man where it's like a house of mirrors. And it reminded me of that because Adelaide, as she's walking by, you just see like her reflected everywhere. And I just, I really loved it. Uh, It's really dark and intimidating. Uh, Things are popping out when it hurts. It really establishes the mood for the rest of the film. Um, And the little girl who played her as a child is really good at being creepy. Um, When her tether, they interact for the first time, like she turns around, it's this creepy smile and then it just cuts to black. It's like, you know, I don't want to (laughs) know. I don't want to. Yeah, and they actually know how to smile creepy. They didn't have to edit their faces. Yeah. Please don't do that ever. (laughs) Just don't. (laughs) Maybe hire an actor that can do it. I don't know. I want to talk a little bit more about the doppelgangers, too, because I actually had questions I wanted to raise raise to you guys. So the whole point is that Adelaide is different, Um, underground and above ground, tethered and normal human. And it becomes apparent that they have this faded meeting that results in a drastic change happening. Um, You know, they don't the tethereds don't meet their mirror image ever, except in this case. So. I they the place where they're kept underground is like in the how like the find yourself place, so nobody else has ever walked in there, resulting in their other walking up, like in the same way. Yeah, that's a little that's that's a little bit of a, come on, come on, who set it up then? How is it connected with to the tunnels <laughs> right. underground? Like who did this? Yeah, it looked like it was like attached to like the underside of the boardwalk where they had all the rides, where they had all this like industrial stuff like pipes hydraulics looking stuff and then it just keeps leading down further and further so it's like is this like a service area for the park is this just an extension of the underground where they're all kept what well they did mention that there was some government testing going on so maybe like that was that built the maze of mirrors was established by you know the government uh and they set it up, and they just figured that nobody would stumble into that corner and try and bang on the wall. But it's like... They I, also never figured that a tethered would get out of the underground going up the, the escalator going down. Because they yeah. didn't lock the door. Or leave anyone in there, just <laughs> left it open. They, they figured none of the tethered would be, like, conscious enough to actually attempt to leave yeah. if they were mirroring their other. Yeah, I mean... I guess that's true. I just find it odd that, that they haven't, not even, like, in this situation where, you know, Adel- the tethered Adelaide, like, Red takes over. It's just odd to me that another group hasn't met, like, another pair hasn't met before this. Because you'd think that they, 
I just find it hard to believe no one else has stumbled in that location, hit on that one spot. Because it's there's only so many spaces. I don't know. That was my only question. Everything else. And that this is, this is me nitpicking. Just just to throw that out there. It's not like a plot hole or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. The other thing, like, let's talk about the ending. Because this goes into the ending. Well. So, you know, I, I warned you. Spoiler, spoiler. This is the end. Um... So it does the classic twist at the end where the other replaces the actual Adelaide. As a child, when they confronted um, Red, other Adelaide, she basically kidnaps uh, her double and they switch places. So she, the actual Adelaide is raised underground as an other, while Adelaide, who is below ground, is now, you know, living in the sunlight and having a great life. And this is... The twist appears at the end, but when you think about it, they've really planned this out through the rest of the movie. It's not just like, wow, what a twist, like M. Night yeah. Shyamalan. Yeah, it, it, they hinted at it very, like, it, I wouldn't say it's subtle because I'm an idiot and I picked up on it. But uh, they, they definitely made sure to have little hints at it. Like mm-hmm. when she's killing the twin uh, and Jason walks in and sees her doing that, it's very obvious that she's more brutal and savage than you know the others are like she's more of a brute she's she's as brutal as the others the tethered i think the first instance where they call attention to it is right after we see young adelaide going to therapy and the parents are like we just want our daughter back and obviously what you're supposed to like read into it on your first you know watch is that like oh she was traumatized but when you like knowing the ending what they're saying is like they don't know, but she's been replaced. It's literally not their daughter. So that's why she's acting so strange. And there are little hints here and there. Like, you know, um, Adelaide seems to always know what to do. Like, she knew it was time. They needed to get out. <laughs> get out. She knew that um, she kept trying to rein her husband in, like, don't do this. Like, And then she eventually takes con- control. And she's also the one that goes and, you know, takes care of the other tethered. She also shows sympathy. She won't kill the children, others. Um, when Jason's backing up into the flame, she's like, no, 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 no. Because, she, you know, she is one. So she has that empathetic relationship. But she has no problem killing her her horrible friends. Yeah. No. <laughs> she has no problem with it. Yeah. Elizabeth Moss's character, I, just, I was not sad that she died. And uh, their characters are interesting because, you know, they're the wealthy, like, they're wasteful. And that's kind of like a commentary this film's going for. And, uh, like, against wastefulness and everything. So they had to die. What can I say? So, overall, we liked the film, right? Loved it. Yes. It was was fantastic. Yeah. Is there any, like, big moments I'm missing out on you guys want to talk about? Before we move on, uh, I wanted to mention the comedy of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Go for it. the the comedy of the like, because you know Jordan Peele comes from comedy, mm-hmm. and you know they. I remember reading about Get Out initially, even though I haven't seen the film yet. I'll see it later this semester. Shame. I swear <laughs> to, I will be. I'm watching it in Dr. Maria's class. Okay. All right. All right, but uh, you know, horror and comedy both require good timing and good writing. Mm-hmm. 
So, of course, Jordan Peele would be able to transition from from comedy to horror very easily. That's a really good point. And with uh with us, he actually weaves comedy in to uh, this horrible scenario that they're stuck in. Like when the family is like just interacting, you know, it, this every like they had just killed their fr- their friends, uh others. And they're sitting, like, the corpses are still around them, and they're just, like, at a dining table. Jason's, like, eating Fruit Loops. Then, then one of them's like, does that mean we get their car? <laughs> yeah. I guess we yeah. get their car. And that's actually something that's really similar to Get Out, and I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Please don't. Uh, but with Get Out, there was a lot of humor mixed in, but a lot of the humor seemed to be focused on, like, one character. And so whenever he was on screen, it was like, oh, now's the time when we're going to get some comic relief. But I really appreciated how in Us, the comedy felt more spread out and it felt more, you know, integrated into the whole of the yeah, film. There, there, there were more like, com- there wasn't a like comic relief character. There was mm-hmm. comic relief as a unit, not a character. I think my favorite comedic moment was when they were like, the the girl, um, the daughter, she was like, I'm driving. And, uh, and the mom was like, no, we, this is like a dire situation. Get out of the front seat. And then they start like going like, well, I have the highest kill I count. I have the highest kill count. <laughs> like, <laughs> one, 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 two. <laughs> I, kill, I killed myself. It was, yeah, that was so funny. It just that felt very great. natural. I preferred uh, the comedy in this one to get out, but both great movies. But yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to themes because this movie has a lot to say, and I think a lot of it's up for interpretation, which I think is really cool. So let's start this out with a quote from Jordan Peele. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, he said, Very important for me was to have a black family at the center of a horror film. It's also important to note that this movie, unlike It Out, is not about race. It is instead about something I feel has become an undeniable truth. That is the simple fact that we are our own worst enemies. So this plays into the doppelganger and there is a lot of imagery with like duality reflections twos um i think one of the biggest one is like the 11 11 and basically there's a character holding a sign and it's like jeremiah 11 11 to which i turned to jeremy in the theater i was like remember that because <laughs> we looked it up and what it is it's from the bible and the quote is therefore thus saith the lord behold i will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape and though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. And that's from the King James Version of the Bible. Yeah. Right. And the, uh, it's Book of Jeremiah, correct? Correct. Yeah. And just for some context, um, this is when the prophet Jeremiah was warning the Jews against worshiping false idols. And that even if they repent, they will not be forgiven. And so this kind of goes into the film. Are, I guess the question of is technology and wealth the false idols uh, like wastefulness and you know people not you know it's just people being so attached to these things I don't know what do you guys think yeah I mean what what is uh, the modern false idol but consumerism yeah you know obsession over things like I have a I literally have my cell phone out right now, and as I'm reading this uh, nice word document outline you have made, <laughs> and it's like I, 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 I had mentioned this uh, earlier this week when I was talking with someone because I had to have my phone. We were shooting something, and I had to have my phone off of me while we were shooting, and I was like, I, I had picked up my phone again. And I was like, I have to say, I feel like terrified when I'm like not conscious, when I'm conscious and don't have my phone on me because it's like, oh, what am I missing? 
Yeah. It, that's you know we we worship these these little these little things that we have bought from corporation brand. Yeah, and sometimes it's not even that. For me, one of the big anxieties that I get from my phone is I'm like, oh my goodness, this cost me like close to a thousand dollars. If it's not on my person, who knows what could be happening to it? And so it's like this sunk cost fallacy of being like, oh, well, I've spent all this money on it, so I need to make use of it. I need to have it on me. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm still paranoid every time I leave my dorm room. I know I lock it every <laughs> single day. I make sure to lock it and then check it three times before I actually leave. And I still get paranoid during the day. I was like, is my Nintendo Switch going to get stolen? <laughs> I'm the exact same way. Don't even worry about it. But yeah. Um, another idea of what the doppelganger might be comes from a quote that Peel told Polygon, and that's that there's something about this idea that the doppelganger has this creepy smile. They know more than you know. I was sort of connecting to that. First and foremost, our fear, our societal fear of terrorism and attack of an intruder coming in who has been plotting something mysterious. Besides the fact that this is an awful event is the idea that there is a well-oiled plan. And the only other thing that's more terrifying than that is the suppressed feelings of what our part in these tragedies is, even if we are the victim. I think that was really beautiful. Yeah, it was very, very accurate, very well-worded description. I, uh, it's an interesting correlation between terrorism, because obviously this film is not just about, like, you know, the typical idea of terrorism. Uh, but it is about... They would consider it an act of terrorism within the world of the film because right. a group of people are uprising and taking over. Right. We see a little bit of once our main family escapes to their wealthy friend's home, they turn on the TV and the reports are of this terrorist attack that's, you know, sweeping the nation. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting, too, because unlike other films that revolve around terrorism, um, if you consider this... A something along those lines um we are definitely made to empathize with these people it there's a very this is a moral gray film like there is not exactly a good in this yeah uh they're these these tethered are left under they're they're the lower class they have yep. they don't have sunlight they eat raw they eat raw rabbit they're forced to mirror another person regardless of their own like personal well-being to the point where many of these people do not have their own like souls as what uh, Red says mm -hmm. uh, during her first monologue she has. It's quite sad. Um, I mean, it, the film never paints them as, like, justified. You know, these are righteous freedom fighters. It's more like, wow, this is a terrible situation that everyone's been put in. And I guess we can kind of see why they would do this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really interesting take because it doesn't side with one side as like the absolute correct. It really is up to interpretation to what you align yourself with. Um, and I think that's really profound, especially for somebody's second film. So great job. Coming off of a first film that already had so much going for it yeah, in the no way kidding. of like great interpretation and all that. Yep. So the ideas of like the resistance, the other, those are very prominent and very timely yes. themes. Um, yes. Very topical idea. So kind of a weird you know, weird imagery I also wanted to talk about were the rabbits. Um, so from the very first shot, there's like, it's a rabbit, it's an extreme close-up, and it just slowly zooms out, and there's all these rabbits. And the entirety of the film, I was like, what does it mean? What does it mean? What, is it? what does it mean? That's not just a rabbit. It's never just a rabbit. But it... I mean, did it really mean much yes. other than it's just a rabbit? I believe yes. so. Do you want to uh, go, Jeremy? All right. Yeah. Okay. So 
in the beginning of the film when all of the before any of this stuff really happens it's right after we see Adelaide meet her other and it cuts to black then we get this close up of a rabbit in a cage we zoom out and there are a bunch of rabbits in a cage all up against a wall and that's contrasted with when we see the rabbits again which is when adult Adelaide goes down into the underground to meet her other self and to rescue her son, and where all the rabbits are free. All the rabbits are free. Yeah, they're, so, I mean, that's kind of what I figured is what you guys meant, was that the rabbits were representing the the tethered, but I thought there might be more than that. We also see <laughs> in the underground more. that when the tethered eat, the only thing they have to eat is the rabbit. and the, so Which represent sense, themselves. Right. <laughs> Which represents this caged thing that they have subjected. So we see that they're just these disposable things that have no agency in their life. They're consumed by the other who are above them. I like the idea that you went home after seeing this movie, laid in bed, and just thought about rabbits. That's how I imagine this. <laughs> he, he, he had like a he had like a notepad and pen, like just like a like a candle. Just also, like, you know, like in like true crime shows and stuff, there's like the billboard, like yeah. the bulletin board of all the strings. <laughs> you, you you wake up at like five a.m. and Jeremy's like connecting string on, on a. It's pit. just a picture of a rabbit. Like <laughs> there's a rabbit in the center with a question mark on but it. But this doesn't make sense because rabbits are one of the leanest animals alive, and if you just subsist solely on a diet of rabbits, you can actually get critical nutrient deficiencies. Oh my gosh. So it's not enough. It's not enough to so, just have rabbits. So what else are they eating? You need more. They have to be eating each other then, right? And doesn't that represent society? Well, but, if they, but if they're eating each other, they've also only just been eating rabbits. So they can't be getting what they need from that. So they have to go above ground. Okay, I'm going to refute that. Because we've obviously been shown in this film that <laughs> Tanner looks so taken aback. We've been shown in this film that the coral, like what happens to the others is not absolute. Like we see them rising up and that's them taking agency. So there's obviously some amount of free, like free will involved to the tethered after, you know, Adelaide prompts them to like, you know, take agency. Um, so, oh my gosh, what was I even arguing? <laughs> I promise I, I had I don't know, point. something about rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> How are, how are they surviving Based without on the law oh, yeah, of yeah. conservation so of like, energy? Okay, right. no, that's too much to get that out of here. <laughs> no, but think about it this way. Like, if we, if one of them gets sick above ground, the other one below is going to get sick too. And say they needed, like, medical care, like they had some disease that could not be cured without medical care. That can't happen underground. So I'm led to assume that they, if they get better above ground, it just kind of happens because there's nothing comparable that could have, like, fixed them. So... I think it's safe to say that in terms of eating rabbit, there's not, it's just kind of like. A symbol. A, yeah, there's there's not real, like, food. Yeah, because, <laughs> like, because, right, like, if they're perfectly, if they're perfectly tethered to each other, then you, they have to mirror everything the other is doing. So do they even need to eat the rabbit to survive? Or is the rabbit just there to represent food as, like, a unit? Like, if somebody's eating food, they're eating rabbit underground. That's just. That's just how it is. It's really strange, too, because they say that they're human. But, like, with all of what we've seen, that can't necessarily be the case. So yeah. I'm curious about, like, I, I'm not sure I want, an, like, a sequel or anything, but I am very curious about this world that Peel has created. Uh, like, what are they? How were they created? Like, what did they Like, even... they, they say it's a government experiment. Yeah. But, like, 
when did the government like take their hands off of it? Like, I don't want to do this. Probably in the 60s. I like how uh, they just they, left them there. Because they said that this has been going on for generations. So had to when did when did it start? When did that boardwalk get built? What was the board <laughs> like? What was the boardwalk the first? Was that like, was that like ground zero? Was was the boardwalk ground zero, or did it start somewhere else in America? Because is... it only mentions in America that this is going on. Yeah, imagine when they start like they make a wink, you know, like they like hold hands or whatever human across chain. America. Like imagine you're in Britain and you look on the news and there's just like <laughs> with, with your with your teacup, your, your certificate, it's like. <laughs> What? What? What's going on here? Was that Australian? That was Australian. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Uh, not same thing, but still, it's very, uh, it's very interesting. Like I, I want to see more films made in this world. There's a theory that Get Out happens in this world. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I think I think that's just people trying to connect the two films because they're created by the same director. I mean, that that's may fair. Be, that may be just dumb. Look, I think people are. They were promised the dark universe world, and no! they're just really sad that it's not there anymore, and no. we have a void to fill. We need the Peelverse. <laughs> the Peelverse. <laughs> so, so does that mean, does that mean Key and Peel exist within the Peelverse? Yes. In fact, I think they started this. Wait. So, so Is Key- this one of the sketches? <laughs> oh my! Stop. That hurt. Oh my. <laughs> Oh this is too much. You know, I came in here for a nice discussion, not for my mind to be blown. All right, we'll get the corkboard out, everyone. <laughs> we need to. We'll, All we right, need let's to go this. to Joanne's Fabrics. Let's go get some string. <laughs> we're gonna keep it recording the entire time we're gone. <laughs> this is all very important. Um, but yeah, I think it's fair to say that like the mirror, the doppelgangers don't perfectly align with you know the actual people. It's weird just saying like actual people because they're supposed to be they're, people. They're actual people. It's weird. I, it's it's easier to think about it when I think about their like heartless and kingdom hearts or they're like the nobodies uh, who are like perfect copies of their other self uh, except you know Sora and Roxas but we're not talking about kingdom hearts I'm sorry did you hear that sound it was the sound of a reference going straight over my head <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that um we get a comment on this that's like, you guys don't understand the Peelverse. The Peelverse. <laughs> See, I want someone to comment and be like, you don't understand Kingdom Hearts. Now. Yeah. Because <laughs> right. then it's just like, who does? I don't know. I do. I do. <laughs> My name is RoxasFan43. You know, I hope there's an actual RoxasFan33 who gets really upset because they're just a really great person. But I am going to wrap this back around to us. <laughs> Because Sorry. at the end of the day, this podcast is about us. Ooh. <laughs> I Can know. Get I'm out. So I want to <laughs> wrap myself up and throw myself off a building. This is a this is taking a turn that I didn't expect. I, I hope my other comes up and embarrasses me horribly. But he, he but presumably he's as incompetent as I am, and I'd hear him coming by his laugh. <laughs> That's probably exactly <laughs> what would happen. Um, so, in a bigger picture, with directors like Peel achieving so much positive reception, are we more likely to see diverse films made by diverse filmmakers? No. That's so sad. Only Why? if no. Bloom keeps doing his work. If Bloom, no. if, if Jason, if Jason <laughs> Blum keeps giving random people money to make films, occasionally we get gold, and occasionally we get 
truth or dare. You know what? I really resent the idea that this is all because of Jason Blum. I'm so sorry, Jordan Peele. I support you. I know this is all you. No, I, I think that, like, the success of Jordan Peele is going to influence, like, other, like, more diverse voices to enter the industry because they see that, like, themselves represented and they're like, hey, maybe I could represent myself, my own history, my own background, and more diverse voices are hopefully going to enter the industry. But then I think about Hollywood (laughs) and I think about those people in Hollywood, those hacks. We still employ Brian Singer, for God's sake. I I think it's still going to be hard regardless of Jordan Peele's success. Jordan Peele will continue to be successful, but they're going to make it as hard as possible for other Jordan Peeles to succeed is what I'm saying. Okay. Fair. Um, I'd also say that like we're probably going to, because of films like Us, we're probably going to see other filmmakers who are like, how can we not have Lupita Nyong'o be, have a prominent role in our film because she's a powerhouse? You know, like we've seen with other, you know, actors and actresses of color who, like, get their break, who get an opportunity to show their talent, and then suddenly they become, you know, they get elevated into that, you know, A-list stratosphere. I hope I hope she becomes, like, an action hero, because she was absolutely just, not maybe not an action hero, but in more films like this, because she was a very commanding lead, yeah. very intimidating lady. She's very fun to watch. <laughs> Definitely a lot of a lot of st- screen presence, a lot of charisma. Well, my kind of thought on this is that what's unique about Jordan Peele is that he's not just a director, he's a writer and producer as well. And I've said this on this podcast a few times, but I think diversity really lies in the hands of higher... It lies in getting more writers that are diverse. Because if you have writers that are making stories about just white people, then they're going to make films about white people. Then we get Green Book. Uh, then we, oh, uh, oh, uh, I'm not sorry. Uh, uh, oh, Spike Lee should have won. But when you have stories that are written by a minority, then that's a minority story. So I hope we see more writers that aren't just white people just entering the scene so these films can get made so we don't just see white people. I'm tired. I'm so I'm, tired. I'm already a white person. I I live a white yeah. story, okay? Yeah, I, I see enough of myself every day. I, I I'm, I'm tired of it. I agree. I'm boring. <laughs> it's true. I'm also boring. That's why I'm here. That's why we're discussing I'm... movies. It's a Friday night, and you know, most people are out like at a party or something, and we're in a little room. Hey, it's not quite night yet. Not quite not yet. All right. Sun hasn't even set. We have time to not be. We, we have time to go home and not do anything properly. Yeah, play video games, basically. But I, I sincerely hope that Hollywood sees films like Get Out and, you know, uh, Us, and they're like, okay, we can have diverse casts, and we can have diverse directors and writers and producers, and people will go to see them because they don't care about ethics. They care about the bottom line. And... You cannot argue that, especially Jordan Peele's films, are doing bad. They're amazingly well. Even if there's some critical rece- like reception that isn't good, it's people are still seeing it. It's all about the money. So Yeah, that's yeah, true. So go buy a second ticket. <laughs> yeah, go. go. I mean, I would watch it again. I'm, I, I, if it's still in theaters when I head back home, I'm going to go see it with my brothers. I think this is the type of film that like you should see twice because they hint things throughout. So I want to see what I missed 
the first time that they were trying to allude to. Yeah, uh, keep talking while I look this up if you have anything else to say. Because there was a early on in the movie, there was an Easter egg for the movie uh, Chud. Yeah, it's a VHS tape. Yeah, a VHS. Oh, well, I just misspelled that. But uh, from what I remember, the it stands for. Uh, wow, I'm not actually getting. This, I'll give uh, you some acronym. context while he's. Oh, okay. It, <laughs> it stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dweller. It's, it's a much... movie from 1984. It's pretty much it. <laughs> and that's literally is a direct hint at what's about to happen yep. in the film. Is it foreshadowing? Wow. And it's like, and it's incredibly subtle. It's something like, it was obviously like intentional because it was in frame. And I noticed that that's like one of the things I noticed because I was like, hey, hey, that's a thing I recognize. And then it was important. And I was like, oh. <laughs> well, it's like, it's subtle enough that like your average moviegoer is probably not focusing on the stuff in the background or not the background. It's like the side of the screen. So like, I think that's really, I love stuff like that. It's, yeah. I noticed the Chud case, but I had no idea what that could have been a reference to or anything like that yeah so that's really exciting to learn it just really emphasizes how this movie is planned so well so that's why i don't get reviews or saying like it doesn't make sense because like it does it's it's very well planned it makes plenty of sense i'm an idiot i'm the dumbest person i know and i caught on to what they were saying i know come on guys their opinion but also your opinion is wrong (laughs) i'm sorry yeah well are there any other thoughts about us before we start wrapping up I think we're great. We like <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, us was was just fantastic. I if you haven't seen it yet, highly recommend seeing it. Uh, it was such such. It's gonna be an it's gonna be a movie people are gonna be dissecting for a while, much like Get Out was. And somehow I avoid I've dodged spoilers for two years for that movie. Do not wait two years to see this movie, ladies and gentlemen. Do not. <laughs> I'd say this is coming out of the gates as a really solid early awards contender. Yeah. Especially for a lead actress score score editing. I sincerely hope it does get an award. Um, I'm always skeptical about horror films winning anything not because I don't want them to just because they're very reluctant to give them out which is just a nightmare. But yeah Thank you guys so much for talking with me. And Tanner, you have a review coming out on this film. Uh, I'm not reviewing it myself. Oh, no. Uh, one of my uh, reviews members is doing it. I-, I chose somebody who I trust to take care of it, uh, and hopefully they'll give me a good review. And if they don't give me a good review, I'll write one myself. But Then we'll add an edit in this podcast that's just like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, when it comes up on the site, be sure to check it out. So I am Emily Rubin, and with me today is... Jeremy Rogers. Tan and Tanner Kenny. <laughs> thank you guys so much for being with me today, and thank you all for listening. You can read all of our content at bitebsu.com and the Ball State Daily. You can also follow us on social on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at bitebsu. Be sure to read all of our upcoming stuff and the new Us review that's going to be coming out soon. And please go see the movie because it is genuinely really good. Thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Input 2.